So I'm going to uh, I'm going to do the reading uh, this morning's reading. Kind of save this one for myself because I, I love this reading. This is um, John chapter twenty. I'm going to put it up on the screen, um, uh, and we'll read together. Well, I'll read rather. <coughs> Excuse me. Early on the first day of the week, when it was still dark. Mary and Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head, and the cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. But they still didn't understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. And at this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realise that it was Jesus. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried her away, tell me where you put him and I'll get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I've not yet ascended to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I've seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to him. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands, and sighed, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I'll, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand, put it into my side, stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord 
Oh my God. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Uh, but let's have a think then about, about John chapter 20. Um, I'm going to ask you a, a, a question, really. Um, put your hand up um, if you've kind of seen more um, daytime TV than you've really wanted to um, in, the, in the last few weeks. Who's, who's being honest? Yeah, 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 okay. Let's have a look. I'm just going to scroll across. Yeah, okay. Yes, thank you. you we've obviously seen lots of daytime TV. Um, okay, now now put your hand up if you've really enjoyed it. Oh, Sophie, what have you been watching? <laughs> well, I don't know about you, but I've kind of like every time I've turned on... Um, uh, daytime TV uh, is just um, driving me to distraction. Um, I have to say that in the, in the past, one of the perks, well, certainly when I wrote this, we, we, we kind of we went through this material first four years ago. Um, and uh, at that time, it used to kind of like have one of the perks of being a pastor was um, sitting down with, with Leslie and we would eat lunch together in front of the TV, uh, in front of the last half of Bargain Hunt, because, of course, those of you who are aficionados know that the first half is not worth watching. It's only the last little bit that is interesting. Um, and I say that with some embarrassment um, for two reasons. Uh, one is it's a sign of late middle age. Uh, and just to explain that I don't watch Bargain Hunt anymore, but I still have, I still enjoy Antiques Roadshow on a Sunday night. Um, again, I know that's a sign of late middle age, um, but it used to be the end of my working week um, when services were over and I could sit down with cheese and biscuits. Uh, and watch Antiques Roadshow. But there's a kind of second layer of, of kind of embarrassment to this because I think, uh, because I'm suspicious of, of the kind of underlying motives of watching this kind of programme. And I think much of kind of reality TV uh, these days um, hangs on an, offer of, uh, on an offer of something essentially free that will radically change your life. So everybody who watches Antiques Roadshow is, is really waiting for that big reveal, uh, something that somebody found in the attic, um, you know, turns out to be to be worth thousands of pounds. So there was a guy a few weeks ago had a guitar which had been given to him, I don't think directly, but, but somebody, the Beatles gave it to somebody and then they gave it to him or something like that. It was worth 400,000 pounds, he had no idea. Um, that's what people who watch these kind of programs are waiting for. Um, or the National Lottery don't get it don't get it on TV in quite the same way before, but essentially it's your it's your one pound hope that you're going to be a millionaire. Um, uh, or or Britain's Got Talent, you know, it's kind of um, you're hoping that uh, finally uh, your skill at, at bird impressions has come into vogue and you are the next big thing, um, or whatever it might be. Or all kinds of programs where either your good looks or, or your bad behaviour. Um, will give you uh, 15 minutes of fame. But all these programs are based on, the, on this hope um, that something that's essentially free uh, will turn my life around and make it abundant and meaningful. And it might surprise you that if you have that kind of hope, um, that to, this morning 
you're actually in the right place. And your dream um, could be realized, just maybe not in the way that you expect. So we've seen along the way that John's book is a book of signs. John records seven signs. Uh, by signs, he, he means that he's talking about these seven miracles. He records Jesus turns um, water into wine, something about abundant life, something about celebration, something about heaven in that. Jesus heals a royal official's son. That's not one we've looked at. Jesus heals at the pool of Bethesda, uh, John 5. Jesus feeds 5,000 in John 6. Jesus walks on the water um, in John, uh, uh, again, John 6. Jesus heals a, a man born blind. That's an amazing thing. So this was, this is not reversing, um, this is not reversing something that had gone wrong in life. This was radically recreating a man who'd been born blind uh, been blind from birth. And then we saw last time Jesus raises um, Lazarus from the dead. It's a miracle on another level. Um, but as we saw in the end of the reading, um, towards the end of the gospel, John says this, that Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples. <clears throat> he says, I've, I've recorded these representative seven, uh, but there were lots of other signs which are not recorded in these books. In this book but these are written um, that you may believe there's seven representative signs and they're enough so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name so John is saying there are seven um, signs and they point to seven claims that Jesus has made which are I am the bread of life I'm the real food if you want eternal life this is the food you need. I'm the light of the world. In other words, I'm the revelation of God to have, that the world needs. It says, I'm the gate for the sheep. I'm the way um, to get through to the good pasture, um, actually the eternal pasture land. I'm the good shepherd um, who lays down his life for the sheep. I'm the resurrection and the life. We saw it last time uh, with Lazarus. I'm the person who can give you life beyond death. And I'm the way and the truth. Um, and the life. And then finally, I'm the, I'm the true vine, I'm the way to a fruitful life. In other words, John is saying um, these seven signs, um, they point to these seven claims, which sum up to the one big claim that Jesus is saying that I am the Son of God, I am um, God eternal, come as a human being, and I'm coming to offer you new life. Life from above, talked about it a couple of weeks ago, that life of heaven um, breaking into now. Something free, therefore, that will change your life dramatically. But there's one proof that will crown this all. There's one uh, proof that will cap these all, and that is um, resurrection. So let's look at it from, from John's, uh, John's account. Um, we're going to find out the resurrection is, is historical. It really happened. It, it's personal. We'll see how it becomes personal for Mary, becomes personal for Thomas. Um, and the resurrection is universal. In other words, it is offered to everybody. It really happened. Um, it changes lives. It could change your life. So Mary and some other women, they go to the tomb in which Jesus has been buried. Jewish custom was to mourn three days at the tomb. 
because that was the time where they believed the soul was, was still present. We talked about that last week. So Jesus dies on the Friday. On the Sabbath, um, our Saturday, the Jewish law limits their travel, so they stay at home. Um, and on the Sunday, Mary takes the first opportunity, dawn on Sunday, um, to come and mourn at the tomb. So she sets off while it's still dark. And when she arrives, the stone has gone. Now that's no mean feat. Tomb was sealed by a huge disc-like stone that, that ran down a, a slope. So it was relatively easy to shut, um, but would have required a, a team of, of brawny guys to open it and turn it back the other way. But the stone has, 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 has been moved, it's been, it's been opened. So she runs to Simon Peter uh, and John to tell them the tomb's been opened. And I guess she presumes at this point that the body's been removed by the authorities because it would take that kind of uh, labor, that kind of force. Peter and John, we heard, ran to the tomb. John arrives first, but hesitate. Um, Peter arrives second, um, and true to form, Peter just crashes straight in. Um, and what they find is strips of linen that have been wrapped around Jesus' body just lying there. So think for a second, the body has gone, but not the coverings. So the grave has not been robbed. Why would you leave the grave clothes and take a body? There's, there's no profit in that. It's not like the raising of Lazarus who had walked out of the tomb, wrappings and all. It's as if the body has just disappeared or the body has just been transported and the grave clothes are left lying there. John goes in, he sees what the same thing that Peter has seen and he believes. What does he believe? He believes, sorry, um, he believes that Jesus has been raised from the dead. What are the alternatives? Well, the alternative that Jesus wasn't dead. Some people still claim that. Um, Jesus was just really badly, oh, oh God, really badly wounded. Um, excuse me, really badly wounded. Um, and at some point he'd woken up and he just walked away. I mean, that's not likely. Romans were experts in death. They've checked whether he was dead. Uh, they've checked that he was dead. You remember they smashed the, other, the legs of the other two uh, guys who were crucified. And they pierced Jesus' body. He was really dead. There's no, there's no question about that. The other alternative, the authorities, the authorities took the body. But then why didn't they produce it later on um, to disprove Christianity? If they took the body, why didn't they take the coverings? Alternatives are the disciples took the body. But again, it's really strange, wouldn't it, to believe the coverings behind. But they went to gruesome deaths, as we heard earlier, um, still professing that Jesus was alive. Christianity, almost exclusively among religions, invites you to test it historically. Did this really happen. This is the crux, no pun intended, of Christianity. Did the resurrection um, really happen? If not, then it is nothing. If it did, it is everything. It is true, you have to take it seriously. This, I think, is, is the only reality, the only possibility, is that Jesus is alive. He has been raised. 
So interestingly, um, John believes, um, but we read, uh, didn't we, in John chapter 20, um, if I can find it. But he still didn't understand from scripture that Jesus um, had to rise from the dead. So, so John believes, he's, he's encountered a powerful reality, um, Jesus is not there, but he's not joined up his, his thinking um, with the Bible. And I wonder whether that's true uh, for some of us. You, you get to that point of, of believing, um, but never really join up your thinking with the rest of Scripture. Well, that's what church is for. That's what Bible studies are for. That's what preaching is for. And that's what your own quiet times are for, to join up, uh, to join up the thinking of, I'm not just being convinced that something happened here, um, but working through why Jesus had to rise from the dead and what it means and what it paid for and what it did. But I don't want to dwell on that. I want to move on and think about uh, the resurrection and how it applies to Mary. So if the resurrection um, is historical, it's about to become very personal for, for Mary. So at this point in the story, the other disciples have left. Mary is left on her own, sobbing at the tomb. Two angels appear where Jesus' body had been. Why are you crying, they say. And, and she says, they've taken my Lord away. And then Jesus appears and says, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? And she thinks he's, he's the gardener. Maybe she's not turned around and looks too fully. Maybe she's um, seeing him um, through um, tear-filled eyes. Um, but this is the risen Jesus. And, and as we see from other accounts, he's the same and yet somehow different. But he says one word. Um, that makes all the difference, which is to speak to her, her name and say simply, Mary. And she grabs him. Uh, I think she grabs him by the feet uh, and says, teacher. She experiences this personal call from uh, the risen Jesus. If he's alive for Mary, um, he's still alive today. He's still speaking personally to people. This is how it works. I hope you're persuaded that the resurrection is fact. You can read and study the Gospels. But then somewhere along your, the life, you, you heard the risen Jesus call your name. Came and said, Nick. And said, Mary. And Jesus calls your name and asks you to come into a personal relationship um, with the risen Jesus. What's he calling her to? Well, he's calling her to a, a new relationship with God. He has always called God his father. And now he said he's going to his father and her father. So she's being included in the children of God. She's been called into the family. She's been called to be a brother of Christ um, in the family of God. So through Jesus' death, forgiveness has been won for her. And now in his life, he's offering her a relationship with God. The same offer is, is there for you. Jesus comes and he calls. He calls your name. And he says, come and be uh, a child of the living God. Come and be a brother or sister of mine in the family of God. 
And that's not a passive thing. There is always something to do. There is always, therefore, a personal commission um, from the risen Jesus. Uh, for her, it is um, go to my brothers and, and tell them I'm alive. This new relationship always comes with new responsibilities. And Mary does what she's told. She runs off and says, I have seen the Lord. And your responsibility and mine is that great commission to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. So the resurrection becomes personal uh, for Mary as the risen Jesus calls her, invites her into a new relationship uh, with the living God, and commissions her. The same is true for you. And the resurrection is personal, and we see it again um, in the story of Thomas. So on the same evening, the evening of the same day, we're still on the same day in, in the story, um, Jesus uh, appears to the disciples um, as, as they're meeting together, and Thomas, um, Thomas isn't there. We don't know the reason. Um, in the little kids video, we saw he, he was out doing some shopping by the look of it. Um, but why isn't he there? We're not told. Maybe, maybe he's abandoned hope already. Or maybe he's just overwhelmed um, with grief that Jesus has died. Or maybe he's just a, I don't know, he's a bit of a skeptic. But a week later, um, there's a degree, sorry, let me go back. There's a bit of, um, there's a bit of skepticism in, um, in Thomas. So the other say to him, uh, we've seen the Lord. And he says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, uh, I put my finger where the nails are, I put my hand into his side, I will not believe. I don't know about you, but that sounds a bit gruesome. Um, Thomas wants that. Thomas wants to have it and see it and, uh, and, and feel Jesus. Uh, and maybe that's you. Maybe you, you said, unless Jesus comes this morning and taps me on the shoulder, I won't believe it. And in the main, he doesn't. My brother-in-law, who's, who's Egyptian, had a profound experience of Christ, a conversion experience, and said, he, he says, I saw, I saw Jesus as I see you now. Um, but it's rare. Uh, it's rare in this, uh, in this country, that's for sure. But maybe that's you, and maybe you're still saying something like that. Lord Jesus, unless you do this, I'm, I, I'm not going to believe. But a week later, they are all together. Um, the doors are locked. They sense that they're wanted men. Jesus stands among them. Peace be with you. Shalom, he says again. And then he says to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. Stop doubting and unbelief. Jesus knows what Thomas needs. And Jesus is amazingly um, gracious to him. And he, he, he comes a, a second time when Thomas is there. Um, and reveals himself. Jesus has heard Thomas's complaint. Maybe Jesus has heard yours. Maybe there's a complaint on your mind that says, Lord, you, you haven't done this. You haven't shown me this. Well, you can be reassured that Jesus has heard. And Jesus offers Thomas uh, the proof. Here you are, Thomas. Here are the holes you, you wanted to see. And actually, do you know, I think when Thomas uh, met with the risen Jesus, he, I guess I would imagine he didn't really want that proof that he'd asked for. 
um, the first time round. He just wanted Jesus and he just wanted him to be present. Um, but Jesus says, nevertheless, look here, see my hands, um, see my side. And Thomas believes and, and, and submits and he says, my Lord and my God, Thomas believes the whole package, doesn't he? Not that Jesus is his, just his master, but that Jesus um, is his God. And so often I think we deal with Jesus like this. We kind of say, uh, Jesus, unless you do X and Y, I'm not going to do A, B or C. And then when we least expect, expect it, Jesus, the risen one, quietly turns up with a, a gentle reminder, I died for you. Remember the holes. Remember the spear in my side. Remember where I hung. For you, for your mistakes, for your rebellion, excruciatingly, bloodily, nakedly, sacrificially, and suddenly X, Y, and Z, which were our demands, seem less important. And we say, my Lord and my God. And I pray that for you if that's where you've been. Um, you've been saying to the Lord, unless you do this, I won't do that. I pray that the Lord turns up the risen Jesus with a, just a gentle reminder uh, of his presence and, and his passion. So the resurrection, of course, is, is um, historical. It's personal for, for Mary, it's personal for Thomas, but of course it's not just uh, for, for Mary and Thomas and the other disciples. Uh, it's for you and for me. It's for everyone who'll believe. Jesus says to Thomas, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and, and yet have believed. Resurrection is for everyone who'll believe. Generations to follow who'll believe without seeing and how do they do that? Well, we've come back to this verse repeatedly over this series. It's essentially uh, an evangelistic series, isn't it? It's a series uh, designed to persuade you of this. That Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So where are you at? Trust that most of you are already there, you're, you're believers. But if you're not, read the eyewitness testimony, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Does it ring true? Or maybe if you're struggling, maybe you're, you're wrestling uh, with your faith uh, in these dark times, it's, it's still the right thing to do. It's still to go back to the eyewitness testimony. Um, does it ring true? Uh, did Jesus really rise from the dead? Why do I believe what I believe? Well, I'm struggling to hang on to what I what I believe at this point in time. Well, you may be. Uh, and part of the answer is, is, did Jesus really rise from the dead? Well, if he did, it's true. Weigh the evidence. Do you believe who he said he is? And if he is, then believe. Accept the invitation and receive uh, forgiveness and receive the Holy Spirit. Maybe you need to do that afresh. Come back to Jesus, say, yeah, I believe who you are, who you say you are. Will you please forgive me these moments of doubt, these moments of uh, frustration and anger, and please will you renew the work of your Holy Spirit within me. And then take up the commission anew 
we can do that even in these um, the strange opportunities the Lord has given us in these um, lockdown days. Uh, there are still possibilities. I would pray for them. Pray for opportunities to um, share the gospel. People will accept you saying to them, I'm praying for you uh, much more readily than they would probably six weeks ago. But if you're a skeptic, just if there are some Thomases out there, um, what, is, what is stopping you believing? What is stopping you throwing yourself wholeheartedly in with Christ? Well, maybe you're like Thomas. I wonder whether it was a temperamental thing. I wonder whether he was just a bit of a skeptic. Well, then ask God to convince you. Um, another thing, the thing that, the biggest thing that stopped Thomas um, being persuaded that Jesus was alive was simply that he was not there. He was not there at the important moment. He, he missed out. Uh, and Jesus makes himself known amongst his people. And so I think the big application of that is get to be where God's people are. And so frustrating we can't do that in person, um, but such a blessing that we all gather together, and I can see all your faces uh, in front of me, and we're still meeting as church. That is where uh, the blessing of God is. It, it's with his people. Contradiction or hurt. What I mean by that was uh, maybe Thomas was massively hurt um, by the crucifixion events. Maybe it was just a, a, a pain in Jesus' death um, that it took him some time um, to get to terms with. Uh, and maybe that's you. Um, maybe you specific hurts have, have hurt you or um, even broken you and you refuse to trust anyone. And what I want to say to you, if that's you, is that Jesus knows. Jesus knows precisely and personally, as, as he knew for Thomas. As he knew for Thomas. He knew what Thomas had been through, whatever that was. He knew what Thomas's character was. Um, he knew and he came and revealed himself. And whatever the issue, Jesus speaks. Jesus still speaks. He speaks primarily through his word, the Bible, by the action of the Holy Spirit upon it. But Jesus still speaks. Read it. So I, I, I encourage you, if there's something still stopping you, read it, reflect on it, hear it explained, study it with other people, and pray. But ultimately, you have to act on the evidence. You have to do something about it. You have to say, Lord, I put my trust um, in you. I believe who you are. Uh, you are God, the Son. I believe in what you've done. You, you, you died for me upon a cross. And I trust you. I will make you my king. Please forgive me. Send me your Holy Spirit. And I want to give as an opportunity just to reflect on that briefly now. Um, and if that's you... Um, coming to the end of this series, and maybe you think, um, I need to respond to this, then just do it in the quiet. Um, you can uh, pray to the Lord in your mind. You don't have to say anything out loud. Uh, but let me just um, give you a moment of quiet, and then uh, we'll pray.
Father God, we have here in John 20 a call, a call from you to believe in your son. And I ask, Father God, that you renew that call to each of us today. That each of us today will have that sense that in our heart you're calling our name. And you say to us, I, I know you. I know your specific temperament. I know your struggles. I know your woundedness. And I know you sin. See it much more clearly than you do yourself. And yet I'm calling you, calling you into a relationship with my son. Believe who he is. Believe what he's um, done on the cross. Trust. Receive the forgiveness and offering. Receive the Holy Spirit who will make that connection, that spiritual connection between us, who will be the life of the coming age in you. And then go. Go and live a new life. A life with more joy, a life with more purpose, a life with clear lordship and direction. And our response should be something like this. Father God, we've sinned. Stood before you and blamed you and cursed you and doubted you on this morning we want to say that we're sorry we want to say this morning that we believe these truths that Christ is risen and therefore that Jesus is your son he is the son of God therefore forgiveness is achieved it is finished We put our trust in him and you this morning. Please uh, forgive us what we've done even today, this last week since we met last. Forgive us a lifetime of things done wrong. Please send us your Holy Spirit. We're ready to make you Lord. We're ready to take up the yoke with Jesus. and We're ready to go and fulfill your commission. Please help us now to do that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Oh,